0: Part Four of Joseph Conrad, A Personal Remembrance by Ford Maddox Ford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Four, Section Two. Part Five, The End. It takes long enough to realize that someone is dead at a distance. I had done that. But how long, how long it needs to know that the life of your heart has come back from the dead. For years afterwards, I could not bear to have her out of my sight. Of our first meeting in London, all I can remember is a speechlessness that was like the odd hesitation of our overtried souls before the greatness of a change from the verge of despair to the opening of a supreme joy the whole world the whole of life with her return had changed all around me it enveloped me it enfolded me so lightly as not to be felt so suddenly as not to be believed in so completely that the whole meeting was an embrace so softly that at last it lapsed into a sense of rest that was like the fall of a beneficent and welcome death for suffering is the lot of man but not inevitable failure or worthless despair which is without end suffering the mark of manhood which bears within its pain a hope of felicity like a jewel set in iron her first words were you broke our compact you went away from me whilst i was sleeping only the deepness of her reproach revealed the depth of her love and the suffering she too had endured to reach a union that was to be without end and to forgive and looking back we see romance that subtle thing that is mirage that is life it is the goodness of the years we have lived through of the old time when we did this or that when we dwelt here or there looking back it seems a wonderful enough thing that i who am this and she who is that commencing so far away a life that after such suffering born together and apart and so tranquilly there in a world so stable that she and i should have passed through so much good chance and evil chance sad hours and joyful all lived down and swept away into the little heap of dust that is life that too is romance L'envoie. the writer has always considered that that man may be said to have lived happily who has a happy death what are all the glories of napoleon as set against his fretted and fretful end death is no doubt to all kind a dulling of the faculties sets in and it is however fast a gradual restful affair but how kind must death be to the faithful worker who having toiled all his life can say with his last breath i have achieved his last backwards glance must show all his reverses as mere reverses but all his progresses have had such permanence as is about safe to us mortals so the writer in these sad months and years has won certain happiness in the days here mostly treated of conrad had a very dreadful a very agonizing life few men can so much have suffered there was about all his depressed moments a note of pain of agony indeed that coloured our whole relationship that caused one to have an almost constant quality of solicitude it is all very well to say that he had his marvellous resilience he had and that was his greatness but the note of a sailor's life cannot be called preponderantly cheerful whose whole existence is passed in a series of ninety-day passages in laboring ships beneath appalling weathers amongst duties and work too heavy in continual discomfort and acute physical pain with in between each voyage a few days spent as jack ashore and that in effect was the life of conrad his resilience was his own his oppressions were the work of humanity or of destiny that is why his personality struck so strong a note of humour the personality of conrad as it remains uppermost in the reader's mind was threefold with very marked divisions there was the comrade with the sharp agonizing intake of the breath who feared your approach because you might jar his gout martyrized wrist or the approach of fate with the sharp pain of new disaster there was the gloomy aristocrat as man and as intellect who mused unceasingly upon the treacheries the muddles the lack of imagination the imbecilities which make up the conduct of human affairs who said after the relation of each new story of incapacity and cruelness cela vous donne une fiere idée de l'homme but most marked in the writer's mind was the alert dark extremely polished and tyrannous personality tremendously awake tremendously interested in small things peering through his monocle at something close to the ground taking in a characteristic and laughing consumably at a laborious child progressing engrossedly over a sloping lawn at a bell-push that functioned of itself in the door-post of a gentleman who had written about an invisible man or at the phrase excellency a few goats once the writer in one of his more gorgeous frames of mine was standing outside his bank wearing a dazzling wheat reflet a long-tailed morning coat beautiful trousers and spats a very high collar that was like enamel a black satin stock and dangling a clouded cane just like that bored stiff thinking nothing at all he gazed down Permel. There approached him an old shrunken wizened man in an unbrushed bowler, an ancient burst seamed overcoat, one wrist wrapped in flannel, the other hand helping him to lean on a hazel walking-stick cut from a hedge and prepared at home. It had, in one tortured eye, a round piece of dirty window-glass. It said, Ford, how dare, the writer said to himself, this atrocious old usurer, For, naturally, no one but a money-lender would have dared in such a get-up. But within three minutes, as he stood and talked, the bowler hat was jetty black, the overcoat just come from pools, the beard torpedo-shaped, black and defiant, the confident accents dusky and caressing, the monocles sparkled like cut crystal, the eyes glowed and almost more wonderfully pell-mell became alive as we went towards the bodega it became alive as towns of the true belief waken in the presence of the prince of true believers come to saunter through his slave-market that too was romance but indeed with conrad in it london was another place the writer knows his london has written about it silly books that have been violently if undeservedly belauded there is not much that you could tell him about what lies two miles or so west of piccadilly and no one should go anywhere else at any rate not in that frame of mind but with conrad at your elbow it became extraordinarily altered and more vivid it was not of course that he discoursed archaeologies or told you what famous men had lived in such a house in pantone street it was simply that he looked at a house front and laughed or at a hat on a cabman or his horse or a tree in a london square or the skirt of a girl with a bandbox crossing the road in front of the ritz or at the foreign office facade once we were sitting in the front row of the stalls at the empire and conrad was never tired of wondering at the changes that had come over places of musical entertainment since his time when they had lodged in cellars with sanded floors pots of beer and chairmen on that night at the empire there was at least one clergyman with a number of women ladies is meant and during applause by the audience of some too middle-class joke one of us leaned over towards the other and said doesn't one feel lonely in this beastly country which of us it was that spoke neither remembered after the other had been at that moment thinking so exactly the same thing and that must not be taken as want of patriotism to great britain on the part of either of us to the measure of our abilities we were ready to do our bits each for the little bit of scarlet on the map and that seems to be all that is wanted but in any popular assembly anywhere the artist must needs feel a foreigner and lonely he must have the feeling that not one soul of all those thousands would understand one word of what he was talking of if he really talked of the things that occupied his mind you are a part of the mob at times with some of the mob psychology yourself but if you draw into yourself and resume your individuality you are frightened that is what it is you are frightened if that house knew what you were thinking of their entertainment and themselves they would tear you to pieces on the instant precisely as a foreigner that is the same all over the world but it is at its worst in anglo-saxondom indeed in that frame of mind conrad was very impartial he used to shock the writer who as a briton knows nothing about his imperial possessions by declaring that the french were the only european nation who knew how to colonize they had none of the spirit of mr kipling's you bloody niggerisms about them but regarded black or tan or black and tan as all one humanity with themselves intermarrying working peacefully side by side and side by side in algerian cafes of an evening sitting and drinking their aperitifs and they provided the nigger with exactly the same mares, Frescoes, statuary in the midst of jungles representation in paris and maddening regulations for obtaining permis de chasse or money from the post-office as are provided in any french town from pont le to aigues that seemed to conrad the way to colonize and indeed one never heard of any secessionist movements in the french colonies from algeria to anam but be that as it may with all his gloomily fatalistic views of the incapacity of anglo-saxons as colonists other than by butchery and the Shambok in heart of darkness it is a french not a british ship of war that bombards the unanswering bush from the tepid seas of the african coasts there wasn't even a shred there and she was shelling the bush her ensign dropped limp like a rag the muzzles of the long six-inch guns stuck out all over the low hull the greasy slimy swell swung her up lazily and let her down in the empty immensity of earth sky and water there she was incomprehensible firing into a continent pop would go one of the six-inch guns a small flame would dart and vanish a little white smoke would disappear a tiny projectile give a feeble screech and nothing happened nothing could happen there was a touch of insanity in the proceeding it was not that conrad was markedly humanitarian it was that he disliked waste of human effort even when it is expended in meaningless cruelty so against the cruelties of fate he stood up there was an occasion when the whole of the manuscript of the last instalment of the end of the tether for blackwoods was burnt shortly before it was due for publication that sounds a small thing but the instalments of blackwood are pretty long and the idea of letting maga miss an instalment appalled it was the almost unthinkable crime The manuscript had been lying on the round, maddox-brown table, under a paraffin lamp with a glass reservoir, no doubt, also an 1840 contrivance. The reservoir had burst. For a day or so, it was like a funeral. Then, for moral support, or because his writing-room was burnt out, Conrad drove over to Winchelsea, to which ancient town the writer had removed. Then you should have seen Romance it became a matter of days then of hours conrad wrote the writer corrected the manuscript behind him or wrote in a sentence the writer in his study on the street conrad in a two-roomed cottage that we had hired immediately opposite the household sat up all night keeping soups warm in the middle of the night conrad would open his window and shout for heaven's sake give me something for sale pochade! it's been holding me up for an hour the writer called back confounded swilling pig across the dead still grass-grown street telegrams went backwards and forwards between ancient Winchelsea and the ancient house of blackwood in edinburgh So ancient was that house that it was said to send its proofs from London to Edinburgh and back by horse-messenger. We started the manuscript like that. Our telegrams would ask what was the latest day, the latest hour, the latest half-minute that would do if the end of the tether was to catch the presses. Blackwoods answered at first Wednesday morning, then Thursday, then Friday night would be just possible. At two in the morning, the mare, another mare by then, was saddled by the writer and the stable-boy. The stable-boy was to ride to the junction with the manuscript and catch the six-in-the-morning mail-train. The The soup kept hot, the writers wrote. By three the writer had done all that he could in his room. He went across the road to where Conrad was still at it. Conrad said, "'For God's sake, another half-hour, just finishing.' At four, the writer looked over Conrad's shoulder. He was writing, The blow had come, softened by the spaces of the earth, by the years of absence. The writer said, You must finish now. To Ashford Junction was eighteen miles. Conrad muttered, Just two paragraphs more. He wrote, There had been whole days when she had not thought of him at all. Had no time. The writer said, You absolutely must stop conrad wrote on but she loved him as she felt that she had loved him after all and muttered two paragraphs the writer shouted it had come to him as an inspiration in the name of god don't you know you can write those two paragraphs into the proofs when you get them back that was what life was like with us at our last sitting over romance we began at the pent at ten in the morning we worked solidly till dinner not lunchtime played two games of chess, began again at nine, and just as we finished the dilapidated hunt, fell back and dropped the kindling-faggot wood, wrapped in newspaper, that he was bringing in to light the fire with. As for the last two paragraphs of The End of the Tether, they never got written. Conrad disliked the story as being too sentimental, and never wanted to touch it again so the close remains for conrad a trifle bald it was to have ended with two polyphonic paragraphs in a closing rhythm as it might be the coming on of an incommensurable darkness and then we had the jack ashore touch it brought into play conrad's incomparable business powers the insurance man came to look at the blistered table and the holes in the carpet both of which had belonged to maddox brown They were, therefore, on their last legs. The insurance man, a gloomy sportsman in a long overcoat, sat on a small chair, gazing at the ruins and leaning his chin on the crook of his umbrella. It looks a very old carpet, he said. Almost time the moth had it, isn't it? But that's just what makes its value, Conrad said. My dear feller, consider the feet that have walked on it the table's very old too the insurance man said gloomily that's why it's so immensely valuable conrad said consider all the people with great names that have sat around it it's an historic table that's what it is i'm afraid the insurance man said that we can't pay for historic associations but that's just exactly what you do have to pay for conrad cried that before everything Consider what you would have to pay if Windsor Castle burned down. Yet that's most incommodious as a residence. Dreadfully old-fashioned. The insurance man shivered and drove away more depressed than ever. Eventually, the company repaired the table so that the top shone as it can never have shone since 1840. They replaced the carpet and paid quite a substantial sum for the historic associations what we did with that windfall the writer cannot remember perhaps we hired the amazing vehicle in which we made our first motor trip a pink charabank on solid wooden iron-tired wheels of almost no horsepower it broke down eight times in thirty-six miles and we pushed it hilariously up the slightest incline but it was a great bean feast Conrad had hired that machine from the retired master mariner who, all unconsciously, had sat to him for Falk. He was reputed to have become a cannibal after the screw dropped off his vessel in the Antarctic, drifting helpless for months the disappointing thing about that ride was that the children were in no sort of a way impressed it was no good pointing out to them that that carriage ran without horses they just accepted that fact along with every other phenomenon and considered that a carriage with a horse or two was a much more spirited affair we went in that vehicle through postling through lemming barham and elham along the shallow depressions that is the Ellum valley past the house about eight miles from the pent in which he eventually died to canterbury where he lies buried that was a happy day we put up at the Falstaff Inn, where, as they say, Chaucer stayed with his pilgrims. And the happy thought of which the writer spoke at the beginning of this chapter is this. Yesterday a young lady came into his office and said that she had interviewed Conrad just before for a Kansas paper. Conrad, who had never allowed himself to be interviewed, he had received her with great charm, had told her many beautiful things— the writer does not interfere with the charming young lady's story by here repeating them but he must have been just the old conrad of the old days and he did not have to say alas that there comes a day when all the fun of life lies in the past for after lunch he had out his own car and drove the young lady all over barham downs by stelling minnes and upper and lower hydricks in the forgotten valleys of the inheritor's opening from time to time he said this is what i like this is what i really like in life and he stopped the car in postling gap that looks over the lands of the pent right away over the store valley that is like the end of a bowl over the channel to france on a clear day he said this is the view i love best in the world that was his last wednesday but one and the writer hopes that he will never speak with any one who saw conrad later for that is the happy memory to have he surely could look back on life so much of it passing in that country that he loved and could say with his dying breath that all his reverses had been temporary but that his achievements truly had all such permanence as is vouchsafed to us men that is to be granted what we papists call the cross of the happy death end of part four and of joseph conrad a personal remembrance by ford maddox ford